Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to 11 Pieces of Me, a show where guests get to come on, create a team formation and pick their favourite players. Not always about the best, just the players they've enjoyed while growing up. I'm your host, Ali, and with me as always is Ryan. How are you doing, Ryan? Yeah, not doing too bad. How are you? Yeah, very well. That's just two weeks in a row. This is... Um, it's very unfair. weird, isn't it? It's not... You know, my reputation precedes me, of course, but in this scenario, I'm actually you know, sticking to my guns now. I know, it's, it's quite good and sound quite positive. Chris is going to be crying and he's... He's going to be very upset. <laughs> and, and with us tonight, um, after last week, uh, the Sunday host, we've got the co-host, Mr Dave Black. How are you doing, Dave? Hello, hello. I'm very well, thanks. How are you both? Yeah, grand. Yeah, good. How was your team to come up with? Um, it's a mix of... Uh, I mean, just for people who don't know me, I specialise in a lot of sort of champ manager stuff. So there's a couple of champ man players in there who will come on to obviously a few Newcastle led ones, but as you'd expect, it's all mostly nineties and early two thousand players who are in there. So um there's some weird and wonderful people in there, but I think you'll I think you'll like it. Ryan, Google it ready? Yeah, I've got it ready to go. I mean I, I you know I've got to make sure that I'm blagging it pretty well uh when I don't know the players. Yeah, that's what it's all about. I'm fairly confident even you, Ryan, will know most of these lads. So this is my uh, this is my education, you know. <laughs> and so just a quick go over the rules, just everybody's aware anyway. But the, play, the, the only really rule we've got is the player must be retired, and we need a captain, Dave. All good. That's absolutely fine. Right. So what formation did you pick? Um, it's a very loose um, three, five, two, I guess. Um, I couldn't find a right-back I wanted, so rather than shoehorn a midfielder into right-back, I've gone with three centre-backs, um, I guess two wing-backs, and then three very attacking midfielders and two forwards. So, so this is the full-backs have got their work out for them, is what you're saying? Uh, yes, very much so. <laughs> Excellent. Right, let's start with the goalkeeper then, see where we go. All right, so in goal we've got um, Jose Chilever of Paraguay. Um when I was growing up, uh, I had a was a video I know of the DVD of Nick Hancock's Football Nightmares, and in that was a small segment on this mad goalkeeper who um, basically used to take free kicks for club and country. Uh, and as, as a young lad seeing that, I was just in awe of this never-before-seen thing of a, a goalkeeper who was do, doing all these things. Um, and maybe a year or so later was the World Cup '98, and. Uh, I don't know if you remember, there was a game called Three Lions that was released, which was on the PS1. Um, 
It was the official England game of the of the World Cup. Anyway, it, was, it, was, it actually hasn't aged particularly well. It's not not a particularly good game, um, but at the time you thought it would be. But uh, and anyway, in that game, um, they had if you played as Paraguay or played against Paraguay, they had Chilavert as the, the free kick taker, which again the novelty of being able to take a free kick with a goalkeeper, I, I, you know, and he was actually good at it. Uh, I, I just loved it. So um, I've always. Hop back to those days, really. Um, we all love goalkeepers scoring goals, and it's you know one thing to score from a corner, but when they're actually stepping up to take free kicks and things, uh, you know, I just love it. Ryan, yeah, I actually, I, I think I actually either had that DVD or I had, I have one of the, I think I had like a David Seaman one, or there was back then the amount of uh, DVDs that you could get. I think I had a um, big Ron one as well, and a James Nesbitt one, uh, or you know football nightmares and, and things like that where players made big errors or whatever. And then in the goalkeeping ones, especially, it was he was always in there. And I, I can't remember which game it was, either one of the first Pezzes or even when it was um, IS. What was it? ISS. ISS. Yeah. 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 Uh, whether he was in one of those, but I always remember playing against my dad, and we'd, we'd, me and my dad would do like a World Cup, so we'd, we'd draw the teams out, and then we'd each play a team, like the home or away team in each of those fixtures. Um, and I'd always be buzzing when I got Paraguay, because I was like, yes, yeah, I'm going to win as many free kicks as possible, just so I can take away this guy. Uh, yeah, I was, it's the same thing, the same memories, really. Yeah, I used to always try and give away free kicks against Paraguay, so the keeper would come, would, would come up to take it, and then hopefully, obviously, give it away, and then you could score from anywhere. But you know, it's just a little novelty, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, he was when I when I first picked this when I started that he was my goalkeeper as well, Dave. Same reason as yourself that that VHS um, and just the novelty, as you say, of a of a goalkeeper scoring goals. Um, didn't matter how good a goalkeeper he was. I mean, he was quite a good goalkeeper, but. If he was terrible, you wouldn't have cared because, I mean, I think it was something like 40, 50 goals combined for international and club level. You know, that's ridiculous. I know. It's badness, isn't it? <laughs> no, I loved it. Just just mad. And he always had a bright kit as well. He's always He always had a mad kit. Yeah, the, the South Americans know how to do kits, especially goalkeeper kits. I was I was kind of between Chilavert and Campos was my second choice. Obviously, he had the most colourful kits, but uh, he was um, slightly slightly before my my time, I think. So I, I went with Chilavert instead. But um, a great era for for mad goalkeepers. No, I love it. It's a it's a it's a perfect choice to get started. So, shall we move on to the defence? Let's do that, and I'll start with um, what I've classed as my only main defender. It's um, <laughs> a good start. I know, uh, and I've gone with Jonathan Woodgate. Um, now, there's a few reasons behind this. One, again, growing up in the area, I did Newcastle didn't really have good centre halves. We had good players who played in defence. You know, Philip Albert, um, even people like Steve Howie. They were decent, but they had an error in them. Um, so when we signed Jonathan Woodgate in uh, 2003, it must have been. Um, this was the best defender I've ever seen play for Newcastle and possibly still is to this day. He was just head and shoulders with anything I'd ever seen um, to the point where I'd always played as a striker growing up and I started to play in defence just because I wanted to be like Jonathan Woodgate, not in the affray sense, just purely in a, in a defending sense. Um, sadly, he was very, very injury prone, but uh, just 
an unbelievable difference in him compared to every other defender I'd ever seen play for us. And it's just such a shame he had so many injuries because uh, around that time, obviously, we had him, Ferdinand, Terry, Campbell, um, such great depth at centre-back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I actually forgot he played for, for Newcastle. Yeah, me too. I was just... I, was, I, I, I thought he went for Leeds. It's either Leeds or, I mean, you can you look at uh, uh, Madrid, but I mean, I always just, for some reason, I just associate him with Middlesbrough all the time. Yeah. Yeah, we, um, we kind of stole him when Leeds were going down the pan financially, so we got him for probably cheaper than he, than he was worth. Um, and he was amazing, but probably played, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I would say he probably played less than 50 games for us. He played uh, 28, apparently, but I assume that would be Premier League. Well, we probably wouldn't have risked him in the Cups, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the only thing I, I... Not the only thing I remember about him, because obviously they've got a fair, uh, fair bit, but... He, Unfortunately for him, I guess the the immediate thing you think about when you think about Jonathan Woodgate is injuries. Unfortunately, and mm-hmm. I think that's the players like a little uh, Ledley King, people like that, where you think you know you're such a good defender, but you're playing a game and then you're pretty much on ice for the entire week. And you know if you've got a game midweek, you're certainly not seeing them play again in that game either. Yeah, I think. If he'd been around nowadays, he would have been managed better. Um, mm. I think the world of sports science would have done a lot of good. Uh, I think back then he probably didn't look after himself the way you need to. Um, if, you, if you were as injury prone as he was, um, which is a huge shame for us. But like I say, he was. We were, this is a team we were finishing, I think we finished third that season and then fifth the season after. So far cry from what we are now um, but he was he was just outstanding compared to what I'd seen back there for the, the previous 15 or so years yeah I mean when you when you look at his his stats in terms of the amount of appearances he, he made so a career spanning from 98 until 2016 he played 310 domestic league appearances um, which I mean around Madrid over three seasons he played nine games which I guess says a, says a lot really but yeah, it's the same, same type of thing, you know, eight caps for England and stuff like that. So it's it's a shame because I said I think I think you're right. If sports science, if he was around now, I think it'd be different. Uh, but it just seems to be obviously wrong wrong time for him really. But great defender at the time. Even his style and his, his defensive ability was probably before its time as well. You know, him and Rio were that. That type of defender that were already ahead of that, you know, they're past the the typical nineties, you know, centre halves. Football had kind of moved away from it, um, definitely in the continent, and then England obviously had started to adapt it that way. Um, and so, as well as the sports science, if he had come about, you know, that five to ten years later. I think you're probably talking about one of the best centre halves in the world. Um, not that he was far away from it you know, when he was playing, but you'd have just seen it on that more regular basis. Yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right, but it's, uh, say, to go from any from, from Newcastle to Real Madrid, obviously had something about him. Um, Real Madrid were in the Galacticos era, so they weren't just buying, you know, anybody, they were buying the very best, uh, which I think is probably the, the greatest compliment you can give him at the time, but it must have been three months before he made his debut, and we know how that went. And it kind of was downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. 
who, who, who have we got up lining next on then, Dave? So, um, alongside Jonathan Woodgate is Dion Dublin. Now, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> but he was the original versatile centre-half slash centre-forward. Um, and again, going back to what I was just saying about Woodgate, because I'd spent so long of my sort of playing days playing as a centre-forward to go back to playing centre-half, um, people were saying I was the new day on Dublin, but obviously just in jest because I wasn't, wasn't very good. Um, and ever since then, I've kind of had Dion as a bit of a cult hero, so there's a signed picture of him on my desk, um, which sits atop where I'm currently sat. Um and he's just—he's obviously gone on to do and the hammering thing, and he just seems like a bit of a, a bit of a lad, really. So, um, I'm a big fan of Dion Dublin. Come at me. Come at me. This the the only thing. So when I'm, you know, it's like every time you, you bring up a player, it's the same I did with Chris last week. Like, I'm just gonna—I'll Google it, you know, just to see. Dion Dublin, English television presenter, not English former footballer. Or anything like that. <laughs> he's categorised as a television presenter. Um, and then it says like his former footballer once you go onto his proof, profile but I mean I always remember on like, either the old uh, championship manager games or like the old Fevers or whatever that yeah you, you'd look at him and you go wait on he's a centre back and a striker uh, and it would always be really confusing because yeah he'd have both positions um, listed if I remember correctly um, so it'd always be like oh he's a great versatile player and that's again that's, that's the main stuff I remember of him as well it's a manager's dream. He can play both positions equally well. Championship uh, manager ninety eight, he was the perfect signing. Um and you played him at centre half just because if you were struggling, it was quite easy to adapt your formation and just help him up front. It was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean let's not forget he was also he, he won the Premier League Golden Boot in that season for Coventry, for Coventry no less, who you know were pretty much relegation fodder for most of the late 90s until they eventually got relegated. Um, so he was pretty handy at both ends of the field, really. Yeah, I've I seen him a couple of times when he came up to Celtic um, live. I mean, he only got one goal for Celtic, um, but just he had that presence about him. You know, there was just, just something about He's kind of got an aura that surrounds him. Um, I've heard him on a few like podcasts, and, and even when he's on TV shows, there's just, I don't know, he just comes across really well and just well spoken. Um, the greatest thing about him is that he created his own instrument called the Duke. Well, yes. I, I first heard that on the Peter Couch podcast, and then that was it. That he became like a cult hero alone to me after that. That's it. He's just very likable, and there's a lot about him. He's uh, he's just quite a quirky kind of guy, which is uh, what you'll find a lot with my team. So <laughs> not, not, not an awful lot of talent in here. Just... That's fine, you know. <laughs> he's been hosting Homes and Alabama for five years. Have you what? seen the uh, Have you seen the montage of him just saying uh, stairs leading to the master bedrooms? No. <laughs> so, so so it's like a two and a half minute montage of him just saying the same thing over and over again in different houses. <laughs> that is getting tagged along with the show when it's released. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good. <laughs> right. So from Woodgate Dion Dublin, where do we go next? All right, so my, my final centre-half is, uh, is Bjorn Heidenstrom, who is another championship manager guy. Um, his playing career, you know, probably won't find an awful lot about it, but just to, to go full circle with this. So, um, as I've mentioned at the top, I, I, start, I kind of became known to Ralston Man on the Post because of my Champman account. And uh, one of the best players in that game is, is Bjorn Heidenstrom, who is at Leighton Orient, um, 
he played four games for them um, on loan, and it, for some reason is amazing. Um, so once the, the blog got some traction and things, and we started the podcast, he came on the podcast, which was great. He uh, so we, we had a nice chat with him about his career, and he you know totally embraced the fact that he you know perhaps wasn't the best footballer in the world, but he loves the the whole champman culture thing. Um, further that as well, uh, when I was doing uh, some giveaways, I asked if he'd mind signing a couple of copies of my book, uh, which I shipped out to Norway to him, and he happily shipped them back signed uh, with a few notes in there just saying, you know, well done for doing what you're doing and keep going. And again, for someone who wasn't really doing very much, it was very nice to, to receive that from him, and he didn't have to do it. So his, his selection is, you know, totally sentimental really uh, rather than anything I've never seen him play I don't think I've even seen a video of him playing in real life but uh, he's he's helped me out a lot so um, I have to put him in that's I guess that's exactly the point of this show though isn't it I guess is it, we sort of talked similar in Chris's episode uh, but it, it's that thing of this isn't about those best players or the most talented players it's about the players that you connect with uh, and there was a couple of players that I was going to end up picking for mine from like foot manager saves over the over the years, like people that played in like the Slovenian league but became my captain in the championship, <laughs> silly like that. And because games like that just make you connect with people, especially those players that you, you've never heard of before, but become such a big sounds weird a big part of your life in that way. <laughs> uh, uh, so it's great that you you know it's great that you put them in. Yeah, well, it's, I'm just grateful to him, really. I mean, he doesn't have to do any of this. He's quite happily retired as a family, but, you know, he embraced it all and he's happy to help out. So I'm, uh, you know, very thankful for it. Yeah, that story alone is worth having a minute, as you say, Dave. Like, we know, like, or can't you put in to your championship manager stuff. Um, and I'm sure most listeners will as well with the pods you do with Ross and what you've done previous. So you a story like that, I think a lot of people will be impressed, even if they've never heard of them or maybe like like me or that, have only seen, heard of them you know, through Championship Manager just those stories are what you want to hear in football, which is such a cutthroat kind of negative world really, so when you get those little stories, it just makes everything just seem so much better <laughs> <laughs> Right so, there's not much left for for us to say, because me or Ryan, I take it, haven't heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your wing-backs from here. All right, so we'll start with the traditional one first. So, um, at left wing-back, we've got Roberto Carlos. Now, that. he has to be in there purely because of that free kick he scored in uh, Le Tournois in 1997. Um, again, as a young lad, I was watching this on... Um, so, back in the day when we didn't really have Sky Multiroom and things, we had we had Sky through whatever it came through. And then to watch it in my room, I had this sort of antenna thing that picked up the signal. It wasn't particularly great. Like, obviously, depending on like, if the wind was blowing, you wouldn't get a good signal, that kind of thing. But sitting there watching on this little telly, uh, Roberto Carlos bend physical at free kick. Um, and then obviously going to school the next day and everyone trying to trying to replicate it, that kind of thing. It was just such an iconic moment for me as a as a, as a, as a small, must have been eight or nine at the time, um, just to see a goal like that that everyone wants to try and replicate. Yeah, I mean uh, iconic. I think is is the right word. And again, it's all for me. It's back to those you know FIFA or Provo games. 
that when I was younger, where similar to uh, Chevalier, where now you want to you want to get a free kick like, <laughs> from like 40, 50 yards out, like you don't even care because you just want to see the really long run up and you just want to absolutely bang it top corner uh, with Roberto Carlos, and obviously he's such a fantastic, fantastic player anyway that. It's a great pick in that sense, but I think yeah, for me it's just I just remember it mainly is that just always wanting to just hit. It wouldn't even have to be a free kick, you know. Pass it if he's on the edge of the box or something. You just hit it for the sake of hitting it, just because well, I mean, you know. You're pretty much playing a bit of Carlos up front. Yeah, <laughs> he had he had high shot power. It was probably just before Adriano was in the game, so yeah, like, oh, I get a bit of Carlos up front, let him hit it, but. To go back to what you're saying about pairs, I always thought it was great where you had like the three types of free kick, which was like the Beckham kind of curl over the wall. You had the other default one, and you had Roberto Carlos's like 20 yard run. Yeah. Yeah. Those were the three, the only three. <laughs> the, the Carlos was great for the Master League in Provo as well because you yeah. played him at left wing, run as fast as you could down, cross it in. And I used to have Canoe as my centre forward. So <laughs> was, that was the cheat code till you got enough money to buy, to buy better players. <laughs> Another player I had as well, Dave. Um, that free kick and the goal against Tenerife. I don't know if you've seen. Oh it. yeah, yeah, from like the byline. Yeah. Half volley. Yeah, I talk about it. The impossible goal. It's even named in all the videos. Just, um, just incredible. Just that attacking mentality. I mean, he could defend as well, but nobody really cared about the defensive side of him. <laughs> you wanted to see those thighs and calves run down the line. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was a shame that like he never really scored that many more free kicks. I don't think did he. I see, I remember maybe one against China in the World Cup or something, but uh, it wasn't. It wasn't many from memory. I think yeah, it wasn't. Wasn't the greatest of free kick takers. Just happened to have that highlight one that that made everybody want him. Most of the goals came from that knock down the byline and just that hammer across goal sort of thing because the shot was so powerful. Mm. <laughs> just, but just actually a great fullback as well, and just. Uh, I mean, part of such a fun Brazil team to watch. I mean, similar for yourself, Dave. That that France '98 um, World Cup, where Brazil were were a joy for the majority of that tournament. Yeah, and again, like the Tournoi the, the previous summer. I mean, I know it was just like a warm-up tournament, but it really laid the groundwork for what was a great World Cup. I, I mean, again, an impressionable young football fan to get a, a little tournament like that in with four very very good teams. Um, it was brilliant. Um, you know, I think the FA dot com, whatever it's called, showed back England v Italy, I think, a few weeks ago, right. um, and it was it was brilliant. Like back when you know, international football really felt like it mattered. Um, sometimes that gets away from us now, but uh, back then it, it just feels like a different a different time for national football. It's kind of something that's in a way Sky is kind of spoiled international football as well. You feel. Because back then, like there wasn't as the rivalries were there between clubs, but it was just when they played each other as such. Whereas now, there's so much money and there's so much things on the line that the fan base is so split that international football is just isn't just isn't there anymore. No, that's true. Uh, it's a huge shame in many ways because it, it should be the pinnacle of the game, but uh, it, it's just it's not there, is it? Especially when you look back to that tournament. I mean. That was the tournament where probably, you know, the whole of the UK were watching. Bar obviously, you had the last tournament where only obviously Scotland didn't qualify. But again, as we we're saying, international football isn't 
as passionate and caring as it was for 98, especially. I mean, you could argue 94 as well. Um, but I mean, I don't really remember much of the 94 one. 98 was kind of my first one, but... Yeah, same really. I mean... I was what six in ninety four in England didn't qualify, so right. I don't think I don't think it really been on in our house particularly, especially with the times the games would have been on. So uh, kind of bypassed me. But ninety eight, as you say, after Euro ninety six as well, which probably me and Ryan enjoyed more than you would have done, Addy. But uh, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> oh, I, I, I mean, anybody I'll tell you, I'm not the most passionate a Scottish person when it comes to football, <laughs> but. You know, 96 and 98 are maybe the only two tournaments I've ever cared about. And what I, I didn't even care about Scotland winning in them in a way. Um, but I think it was just because that rivalry was there. You know, so it was just something to be, something to care about as such. Um, and then after that, it kind of, I don't know, we've no, Scotland haven't been in one since. So maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm more passionate and I realise and it's just subconsciously tucked away. <laughs> Well, maybe, maybe. I mean, I'm I'm not like a lot of English people. Like I, I like all the home nations to do well. Um, I don't really know why. I just always have done. It's uh, I know England are meant to hit Scotland that, but to me, if if there was all you know, England, Scotland, Wales, um, both islands, I'd be quite happy with that in a tournament. You know, but it doesn't always work out, or it doesn't ever work out really. <laughs> we give you better games. That's the way I always. I'm the same as yourself, Dave. And and even at club level. You know, I want to see all the teams qualify because it just looks better on the league and it only strengthens your club's ability. If other clubs are doing well and you're doing better than them, you know, it just makes your team look that bit, that bit stronger. But I don't know. I, I, I'd love for international football to go back to to those times. Uh, I mean, I'll be the first to admit I, I couldn't care less about international football. The way I see it is it's, it's just a break. <laughs> a club level now. Um, I'd love all my players never to play in internationals and <laughs> stay healthy and you know come back fit. But I mean, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> no, I mean it's probably a chat for another time. But it doesn't help that you know you get three games into a new season. It's like ah, we're off for national break, and then you get three more games done, and then it's ah, it's another national break, and it's like it couldn't be any worse time because you've had the whole summer waiting for the club football to come back, yeah. and it just it just gets in the way. But I think it could, they could do more with the, the calendar certainly. Or just even have it as use players that you know aren't going to be in the squad or aren't in the you know the you know the main players. Mm. You just yeah. try and see those like when England had the B team for a while, you know, and because the only way you're going to get to see those players in those situations is at that time. But oh, that's a, I think that's a podcast for another day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the right wing back then, Dave? Uh, so I'm going to ask um, Roberto Carlos's ex-teammate uh, David Beckham to do a job as a right wing back. <laughs> um, uh, I don't doubt he can do it stamina wise, but Probably don't ask him to dribble too much. It wasn't really his forte. But he can ping a lot of crossfield passes. So yeah, I'm putting David Beckham in there. Um, the, the reason for that is that he was the first footballer to really transcend the game. Like he was, he was more than a footballer. Um, and I probably didn't appreciate him as much at the time. Um, but once he left Man United, he became a lot easier to like. Um, and I thought. When he played for England, he gave absolutely everything he had. Um, obviously, 
rough time in 98. Got done up by Simeone a bit. Um, st- still barely touched him, in my opinion, but rules are rules, whatever. But uh, to come back from that, from the death threats and everything that went with it, um, to go on to play, what, 100 and... Must be 120 times for England. I think that's remarkable, really. I want to just double check, but I mean, this is let's, let's be honest, this is not the first time that we're checking David Beckham's uh, <laughs> numbers on the. It'd be interesting, Ali, actually. On the from all the teams that have ever been on 11 pieces of meat, is there a way of knowing how many times certain players have come up? Because I mean, a majority of the episodes I've been on. David Beckham's been picked, and I think that says an incredible amount about him. And and you, you know, as you said, the transcendence in the game is to, to have that level of, I guess, not notoriety, but you know, that level of people wanting to put him in, a, in an eleven of their favourite players, just says an incredible amount about him as a player and what he did for the game and. I guess just everything. It just makes you know. It just makes it so obvious that how. I guess we were saying this on the other day on the other pod with Chris is, he might not have even been the most talented player ever or anything like that, but you know his effort and just what he did for football in general and what he represented was just such so massive. Yeah, and I feel bad because a lot of. Uh... A lot of bad incidents kind of followed him around, especially for England. I mean, if you if you take obviously the red card in '98, missed a penalty in 2004 against France, and obviously again went on to lose. Um, he um, missed penalty in the shootout, I think, as well against Portugal. Uh, and of course, he was meant to go to the 2010 World Cup and did his did his cruciate ligament not long not long before that as well, which I was good at for, to be honest, because I thought. He was uh, kind of like he was like the ambassador for him, and I thought the absolute final kick in the tits was when he did all the marketing work for Euro 2012, not Euro 2012, sorry, the Olympics in 2012, and uh, Stuart Pearce decided to pick Ryan Giggs instead, yeah. which still which still annoys me to this day because I mean, then Giggs couldn't play for more than one game because he had a bad back. <laughs> but Beckham, I think, could easily do. We saying again this season where. He even in that charity game a couple of years ago for United, he was still pinging the exact same balls that he, he was, you know, ten yeah. years ago or whatever. I mean, imagine you were in that uh, Olympic squad and you're, you know, twenty one, twenty years old, and you line up alongside David Beckham, who's done everything he's done. I know Giggs has had a great career as well, but um, there's not the same aura around Ryan Giggs as there is around David Beckham in terms of global standing I just think it was a huge mistake not to pick him for that no agreed agreed I am um, I, I think I rambled on enough about Beckham for him on the last show I, I just looked back Ryan Beckham's only been on four times really me, me you uh, Dave and Chris <laughs> what it goes back to again what I said with Chris David Beckham is completely underrated and underappreciated because he's David Beckham. If, if he didn't have the stature of who he was, I think people would appreciate his ability and the way he played and everything about him much, much more. And, and I will argue that till, till, 
till I can't breathe anymore. And <laughs> my point is, people loud Ryan Giggs is one of the greatest wingers of all time. Beckham was a better player than Ryan Giggs, but Ryan Giggs, up until the the wife scandal, <laughs> that squeaky clean image, you know, you didn't hear from. He was never in the news. Nothing. Whereas Beckham was that cult hero. He was, he was a he was a superstar. He wasn't just a footballer. He um, was the celebrity, wasn't he? He was. He, yeah, he he's I, been the, the the biggest. Back. Well, he's been the biggest celebrity football uh, for me, anyway, especially in my era, has seen and probably will again. Michael, football, isn't he? He's that. He's the brand. Yeah. The name Beckham is a brand. I mean, the the football boots with the with the name on it. He, he, the whole Adidas range originally. Um, the the fashion stuff. Um, but Chris mentioned haircuts. You know, he was a global ambassador. He was that influencer. He's he was ever he brought he combined two worlds together with a, when him and Victoria got together. It was the you know the pop world and the music world along with the football world. So everything, all the media. I mean, he brought more eyes to the England team, the England setup, and even the media. The way the media. I mean, look at how he was reported after the sending off. I mean, the British media didn't help that. You know, any way possible because it was Beckham. That never happens if that was a a Tony Adams, a David Batty, a, you know, players who just aren't that recognisable to the not to the football world, but to the rest of the world. Mm. I completely agree. But, uh, again, my love for the man is just unprecedented. Um, so before I start swimming over him, <laughs> uh, my, last, my last point on Beckham, though, I was. Quite annoyed a few years ago when um, little whatever peasant was doing maybe 2018, 2019 had a exclusive David Beckham oh, yes, di- edition. So I went out and got this special edition, got home, bought them for the whatever my club. But did they put in Prime Beckham? No, no, they put in 43 year old Beckham who was knackered like after 10 yeah. minutes because he's 43. I remember what, this. What, why did he do that? Like put in Beckham, like give him his curtains back or something to just do anything, but don't put him in as a 43 year old. Like. I remember because I did the same. I think I either got the, or I got the, I might have packed him or something on, on that Pez. And you could pull your micro players into career mode or into Master League. Yeah, yeah. So the yeah. first thing I do was get Beckham because I said this on the last one where. Any football game where Beckham was in it, I tried to sign him instantly because you just want him on free kicks and corners all the time. Completely, yeah. Um, and I put him in centre mid, but yeah, all of a sudden he was just knackered. And I was like, what is going on? And then I realised, oh, it's Beckham as he is today. I know. What's, right. Why Why did you do that? Like, God's sake. And you thought Usain Bolt was a master stroke and then they did this. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right, who's up next then? All right, so the first of my um, well, you said they're attacking bit, midfielders. As yeah, well, I mean, I mean, they're barely even midfield players to be honest. We'll go with. <laughs> so my first pick here is is Paul Merson in uh, loosely loosely labelled centre midfield. Um, Merson is another one who uh, I think is underappreciated because of. He's become a bit of a joke in some ways because he can't say players' names and things. But um, if I, I mean, there's a few reasons for Merson's inclusion. So I'll, I'll start with with Soccer Saturday. Now, again, people will watch Soccer Saturday and go, oh, "Merson doesn't know what he's talking about. He can't say names and his teeth fall out on air and all this kind of stuff." But he, of the four of them, is the he makes the most valid points. Um, but people overlook that because he 
is an idiot, basically. But um, the points he's making are actually usually I quite agree with. Um, so that's his, his first reading for inclusion. Um, secondly, he became a bit of a cult hero of mine. Um, we, me and a few lads from work, were playing uh, Champ Manor 1 or 2. We played a network game, which started before I had a baby and ended when I had a baby. So um, last year sometime. And uh, one of the lads was Aston Villa, where Merson was was probably 32 and out of favour there. So he said he was flogging him, so I, I bought him off him. And uh, he was just amazing. And we ended up, ended up winning the league first with Newcastle. And I bought the little Corinthian figure for Merson, who now sits on the desk at work to remind <laughs> the lad of, of, what, uh, of, what he let, of what he let go. And uh, and ever since then, like Merce has just been um, a bit of a comedy character around uh, around the workplace, really. So he's uh, that's why he gets in my team here. Ryan, do you know much, or have you seen much of Merce in Bar Soccer Saturday, as Dave mentions? Not too much, but I remember I got luckily invited to this uh, event down in I think it was in Manchester or something uh, with work, and it was like a charity event, and Harry Redknapp was on it. And I'm pretty, pretty certain he was talking about Paul Merson. And he told a story where, obviously with Paul Merson, whether he was involved in drink and, and drugs or whatever back in the day. Yeah. Um, where Harry Redknapp said, right, go to, I need you to go to this rehab place for a few days. Uh, you know, keep your head down. Just, But I need, you, I need you back for the game on Saturday. And this was on like, you know, on Monday or something. He got a call on sort of the Wednesday, Thursday from one of his mates in Barbados or somewhere like that. And his mate was like, what's your player doing here? He's like, what do you mean my player? What, what player? He's like, Paul Merson. <laughs> he's, he's chilling on the beach with a couple of babes. And Harry Redknapp obviously went absolutely nuts at him. <laughs> but that, that's the only thing I can, like, I know slash remember is that story. I was thinking, that's a great story. I mean, uh... All the struggles and things with, with the gambling and, and the whatever else is very sad, um, and it's easy to forget that he was actually an incredibly talented player in the uh, in the mid nineties, early nineties as well. Um, but it is obviously overshadowed by what what, what happened after that. Hmm. I mean, I mean, the good thing to come from that is, you know, I mean, he he's battled through it and a much happier person now, and very open about it as well. I mean, he's on a few shows and podcasts and. I mean, he tells that story himself, Ryan, okay. uh, as well. So Merson talks about it. Uh, I've got a, got a feeling Simon Jordan had something to do with that as well, like part of that story. Um, but yeah, he just, as you say, he, he does kind of have that, that laughing joker type thing from Soccer Saturday. But the players who are that bit older, who, who did get to see him at Arsenal, if you were lucky enough, um, but I remember him from the Villa and, and Portsmouth days mainly, Dave. I, I think it, you'll be quite similar apart from looking back. Um, and just on his day, quite untouchable at times. And as you see, you look at him and even you listen to him sometimes, you're like, OK, maybe maybe he wasn't that great. And, and it takes away from his actual ability, which is which is a shame. Um, I wish more people would go back and realise how good he was. And, and, and I agree with you, Dave. He does make some good points, but it's, unfortunately he makes so many stupid remarks or stupid points that it kind of loses its credibility yes yeah yeah that's that's unfortunate but um i mean you know it's not it's not really the greatest uh comparison against the, the people that have on that show anyway but um <laughs> he's certainly not the not the worst one um 
as well in the 97, 98 season, I think it was at Middlesbrough who were in the, the Division 1 at the time. Um, but he played so well for them, he uh, he ended up going to the World Cup as a, a, essentially a first division player, which, again, would probably never happen now, um, which just shows you how good he must have been. Did he go to the World Cup in 98? I don't know. That. He came on against Argentina and scored oh. one of the pens in the shootout. Nice. Well, gee, I don't know that then. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, not, it was just uh, the Villa in Portsmouth days, as I say, I remember him from. Um, I mean, he was, for a, cause he was he was more a wide player, am I right? Like a wide forward type. Yeah, he kind of played as a like a second forward for a bit, um, and then he ended up playing like I guess off a striker or wide. It was he was quite versatile in that respect, but um, he was always an, an attacking player anyway. I mean, considering all these issues, I mean, he was still getting a goal every four games. You know, with the issues he had in the early part of his career, and obviously they carried on for a bit, and he kind of still maintained that level. Um, I mean, only, you're the only second person to pick him, and I think that's that's a shame for the player that he is. Um, considering we've had we had a few Arsenal fans as well doing this, uh, <laughs> I thought he would have crept into a couple more than that. Hmm. Who have you got lining up beside Merce then? Uh, so next to Merce is Antoine Sibierski, who. Uh, You'll probably know him from playing for Man City in Newcastle. Uh, he had spells at Wigan as well. Um, how much do you know about about Sib before I go into a, a beautiful history? I'm, I'm not too clued up, so oh, this will certainly be good education for me. <laughs> yeah, just just pretty much the, the Man City, and I knew he was at Newcastle, but... Yeah, yeah. so he... Um, he signed for Newcastle under Glenn Roder in um, 2006, it must have been. And this was like a deadline day, 11 o'clock at night type of signing when we were desperate for a striker. Um, we just needed someone to come in and Man City basically let us have him, which tells you all you need to know about him. <laughs> and uh, and everyone immediately wrote him off. Um, you know, why we're signing this knacker and that kind of thing. Um, and I think he knew that because... He wasn't like this is a time when Newcastle would generally sign players for a lot of money, but by this point the money had pretty much run out. Michael Owen had bled us dry. Uh, he was he was injured. Um, we'd signed Obafemi Martins as a replacement, but again that came at a cost. We'd loaned Giuseppe Rossi from Man United, such was you know the days of Newcastle loaning a player from from someone like Man United, which would never have happened back then. So this was kind of the first season where we were penniless. It was just before, it was I think it was the last season under Freddie Shepard. Um, so anyway, Sibby arrived on, on deadline day. Glenn Roder was he was he's a very nice chap, but he wasn't a particularly great manager. Um, he'd got the he'd got the job because he'd replaced Sunes at the end of the previous season and obviously done well because you take the shackles of Sunes off and you look like the greatest manager in the world. Um, so he got us into Europe as well, which helped. But so we went into this European campaign and um, Sibby was he. he we played him as basically a target man, like little and large, and it was like a running joke where he'd, the physio would be on at least once a game to save him for head injury because he just went for everything. He'd literally basically decided this was, going to be the, this was the biggest move he'd ever get in his career, and he just gave absolutely every ounce he had in every single game. Um, again, not the greatest player I'll ever see by any means, but for effort, um, absolutely second to none. He scored quite a few goals in the UEFA Cup run, um, 
scored a nice header against Celta Vigo, I think I remember, and he went on like a little mazy dribble in a game, a game against uh, Varagam in Belgium. Um, and he, in that respect, he was far better than anyone expected he would be. But again, this is kind of the t- time off must have been 16 or 17, and uh, no, maybe 18, and I was, you know, at the stage where you're watching games with mates for the first time, and you were kind of in the pubs and things, and you were getting uh, into like, cult heroes and stuff, and and Sibby just became this cult hero where everyone else hated him, so I loved him. I was, you know, <laughs> gets to get Sibby on and, you know, launch the ball up to him and that. So um, later that year, I moved in with a few, a few of my mates who we were, I was at uni with, and uh, we start, I started a master league, and I, need, I wanted a theme for my team, so I made Team Sib and only signed ball players, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and Sibby was the, was the captain and, and linchpin of the team. Uh and like if we ever played pairs with clubs and that, I'd always be. I think it was at Wigan by then, so I was always Wigan, and just Sib would just run run riot against them. Um, so from that moment on, like he's always just been a bit of a bit of a cult hero to me. And uh, again, he's another one whose who signed picture is atop my desk next to day on Dublin. Fair play, yeah. I mean, as I've just sort of been sat here reading through uh, the Wikipedia for, especially that that was it one season by the looks of it. At Newcastle, yeah, yeah. So unfortunately for him, he was there for a year, and then um, Rhoda got sacked, and Sam Allardyce didn't fancy him, and then Freddie Shepherd uh, sold the club to Mike Ashley, and we had money to spend, so didn't really need him anymore. But uh, he went to Wigan, and he scored a beautiful volley against uh, your Chelsea team in the cup. You might remember, oh, but uh, God, yeah. I mean, you beat them anyway. <laughs> I think he beat them anyway, but he scored the consolation goal, and it was a lovely, crisp volley. But uh, uh, he was—he he was just another cult hero of mine. Who, uh, again, probably most people wouldn't even wouldn't even remember he played for Newcastle, but he was just at that era. He was in the right place at the right time. I remember the partnership with Martins. Um, but obviously, Martins had that. I mean, I didn't know him before. It was basically it was either. Was it, would it have been Pro Evo, I remember him from originally, and then when obviously you guys had signed him. Um, so I, I always just paid close attention when he played because he was just, you know, the fast Nigerian that was like 98 pace in any computer game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, that's where I, I think, obviously you remember him being at City, it was kind of that bald head and the, the, the City top, but I mean, that, you mentioned something about like the last big club he went. I mean, you were probably the biggest club that you went to. I mean, Man City obviously didn't have the money. Yeah, yeah. Then and, and you at that time you just were a far superior club um, overall than 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 Man City. Um, so you probably did take it. I, I vaguely remember the European run. Um, I'm sure, he got four or five goals in that campaign. Um, I mean, I think look, I'm sure he scored against Fenerbahce as well. Like he scored against some ridiculous teams. Really looking back, but uh, he was. Um, he was a handful, and again, no one really expected it. But uh, he was he was quite quick with his feet as well. I think he seemed to remember dancing around a goalkeeper somewhere, probably maybe against John Filan, who took him down. Um, just he did the unexpected, which again you kind of like in a player. But uh, people, players who were expected to be terrible, who were, who were good, are, are always winners in my eyes. Um, that and there's, there's just players. I, I mentioned it before, and there's always a player at your club who's not the greatest, but just connects with you. And you've always you'll always have that, you know, affiliation with them. Doesn't matter where they go on, you always check their career and you always want to see them do well no matter what. 
Well, that's it. And say he was a, an essential part of Team Sib for a number of years. Um, it's a tradition that sadly gone away now since Pez got rid of like my club where you don't get to pick your players anymore. So I had to, Team Team Sib got shelved sadly, but uh, he'll always he was always the founding member of that. That's the, that's the kind of history that you'll die on now. That's <laughs> doesn't care about his proper. It's Team Sib was where he made his. To be honest, I, I really I'm trying to track him down at the minute because I want him on the podcast for the Champman podcast because he's actually very good on 9798. He was quite a talent at uh, Oxair or how you pronounce it. Um, I think he went to. I might be wrong. I'm sure he played in the Olympics for France France in uh, in '96 maybe. So he's quite high, quite quite highly rated. Um, so again, I'm trying to track him down, but it's proven difficult. Oh, fingers! That'd be that'd be some guest to get. So the last of the attacking <laughs> midfielders. Yeah, so this guy, I've I've put him behind the front two on my little notepad here, but any of these players could have done this. But I've I've gone with Peter Beardsley. Um, now we'll start off by saying, sadly, his coaching career has now got a massive cloud over it for apparently bullying the young lads. Um, so ignore that. We're just looking at his playing career. Um, obviously, I grew up with the entertainer entertainers era. Um, Got, I caught the tail end of Beardsley and Andy Cole as a partnership, which was incredible. Um, and then went on to Beardsley and Les Ferdinand. And um, towards the end of 95, 96, Kevin Keegan ended up playing Peter Beardsley as like a wide midfielder to accommodate Tino Spear. Um, and he didn't look out of place. Like I think he could play Peter Beardsley in any position on the pitch and he would have done a job for you. Um, he was just unbelievable to watch. And then... I don't know if any of you remember, but when Sky Sports used to do the Masters, um, yeah, Peter Beardsley used to play for Newcastle in that, and he, he was literally a one-man a one-man show, even at the age of must have been 45 by then. He used to score three, four, five a game. He was just so quick with his feet, and even in that little environment, um, he was a joy to watch. And my, my, I think my favourite Peter Beardsley memory was in that 95-96 season when uh, the title was getting away from us, and I mean our lads were were drained. This was maybe three games to go. We were getting beaten at home off QPR and uh, Beardsley scored twice in about two minutes in the last five minutes to essentially keep our hopes alive and obviously it didn't come to anything in the end but just for that brief couple of minutes as everyone piled on him in front of the Gallagher, I, uh, you know, everyone believed it. It, was, it was still possible. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a player, obviously, I've got great, great love for. Um, I didn't see him play for Play for Liverpool, uh, but I've seen enough videos and now DVDs, uh, you know, of those those glory years and just after. Um, I mean, he's, the the partnership with with Barnes when Rush came back, you know, that's that's the the team that I was kind of made to watch, you know, as a as a youngster growing up. So it was just a joy, and obviously the main point of me actually watching him proper was all the Newcastle time, and it was just. He was just a class, just like he had that elegance of a player. Um, and I, I love how you brought up the Masters because it was like what we mentioned about Beckham could still play now. That's what it felt like when he played that Masters. You know, he made it look so so effortless. Yeah. <laughs> I miss that. I don't know. Oh, why so they, need to, they need to bring that back when, well, obviously, yeah. when, you know, everything's. As back to normal as it is, it can be. Why? Like I always remember waking up on like a Saturday morning or something to be on, and I'd be really upset if I've like missed the majority of the matches. Uh, but then I'd just 
you know, you get the last couple of games. And they, there'd be some good quality football on this. But I mean, yeah, okay, it was a tight little, you know, uh, pitch or something. But actually, I, it was a, such a good little thing to watch. Bring it it's back. a concept. I mean, some of the Scotland team, the, the Rangers and Celtic teams, the players that came down were always were always fun. Liverpool always seemed to have a good team. Uh, and Newcastle, you know, they seem to be the main... I mean, you, if you think of the players that you could have now, I mean, Liverpool, I take it most clubs do, but obviously I can only speak on Liverpool, still have, like, the Legends games fairly regularly. Once every couple of months, they'll go and play, like, a Real Madrid, a Bayern Munich, you know, and a living aside. So I'm pretty sure most of them would, would much, to prepare, much prefer to play a little five-a-side game, you know, and, as you say, like, a, a, a full weekend of a, a tournament and have it on TV and just bring back that competitive rivalry because a lot of these players will probably be sitting twiddling their thumbs with nothing to do <laughs> well, that was it I mean I can't remember half the, uh, anyone else on the team except maybe John Beresford but uh, as you say if they did it now there'd be plenty of options yeah I'd watch that yeah and, and when you think about the players now who have retired from your clubs probably again looked after their bodies that bit better so they will be in better shape I mean, when you think of the players who would have been playing in those those uh, masters, um, they they came from that culture where on a Saturday was still was still a major part of their, their <laughs> scientist diet. <laughs> Do you remember much of Beardsley Ryan playing? No, I think it was sort of you know heyday was was way before my time anyway, and then you know the last few seasons would have been sort of probably elsewhere where I probably wouldn't be watching much football um, but recognisable instantly recognisable and sort of like an iconic type player um, who had a great career in, in a few different places so yeah it's just one of those players that I, I know of but you know didn't get I guess the opportunity to enjoy almost I went to Australia for a couple of games Chris would love them <laughs> <laughs> you get a full podcast on those two games <laughs> <laughs> right, so shall we move on to the strike? I, I mean, I, I'm guessing we could all guess who one of the strikers are. Um, yeah. So shall we leave that one till last? Because I'd imagine you've got the most to say about that player. Yeah, he's got the armband as well. He'd be surprised yeah. to hear. <laughs> yeah. So my first striker is uh, is the original Ronaldo. R9 or whatever you want to call him. Um, again, this was a player who. Um, Everyone wanted in the in the mid nineties um, when he was at at Barcelona and then into Milan. Um, he was well, firstly absolutely rapid, which again people love in a player. But his feet were so quick, like we've all seen that that montage where it's just all the times he went round the goalkeeper. He really, for me, obviously probably wasn't the first ever player to do a step over, but he really brought the step over back into in the kind of like playground culture like I don't remember that like loads of other players doing it at the time but he was just he'd throw in four or five and just go around the goalkeeper so effortlessly um, it was something everyone wanted to be able to do uh, and again going back to playing champ managers and things Ronaldo was always the player you wanted he always had this kind of like he's the best player in the world around him um, and getting hold of him was, was very very difficult but um, he uh, was just an absolute superstar yeah, same same for me in terms of like that, that him and you know that Brazil team from around them really brought back that. It's not fun. I think that's obviously that's a bit of a weird statement to make, but the that playgroundish thing with you know all the skills and the 
bravado of it all. You know, they were just so good to watch. And I remember on like the original like FIFA Street games and stuff like that, there Brazil would be the team that you'd pick out of most, just because you've got people like Ronaldo who would just do ridiculous things, and you just you, that whole team was just great. But he was obviously such a great striker, and yeah, as you said, the amount of times he'd just go around the goalkeeper was amazing. Yeah, and again, it helps them that at that time, um, Channel Four had. Uh, Italian football on a Sunday morning, uh, Saturday morning with the highlights and the game on the Sunday. So he went into Milan in '97, yeah, '97, um, and he was obviously very good there before his injury. And if I'm not mistaken, as well, they had the UEFA Cup final, which would have been shown on terrestrial telly, uh, where he tore Lazio a new one. And I've got the shirt with Ronaldo 10 on the back from that final, which, again. I don't really make a habit of collecting other team shirts, but with that one. Uh, I just had to have some sort of Ronaldo shirt in the collection and he, that's the one I, I'm pleased to get hold of. But um, he, that whole Brazil Nike advert in the airport, that kind of era, that oh, it, he, he's, ki- he's kind of the player I always think of when that, when that comes up. He's, he's a player who I, I, I couldn't have him. Um, obviously, the, 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 the podcast is about your favourite players. I couldn't stand Ronaldo when I was younger. Because, <laughs> because everybody loved him so much, I was like just the most stubborn guy in the world that refused. I'm pretty sure when I was younger, I even said he was crap. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, looking back, I mean, I didn't see the the Barcelona days until I was older and able to go back and, and study football. It was down at Milan days like yourself, Dave, as you said, the Channel 4 Saturday mornings, eating your breakfast. <laughs> With it, you know, the famous commentary and all that. And then he went to Real Madrid. I mean, it's no secret. Real Madrid were like my, I've always been my foreign team, if, if I was to have one, say, the white kits. And when he went there, it was obviously after the injury. And it just it mesmerized me how much he managed to change and adapt his game, you know, from the, the pre and post injury um, and still be one of the greatest nines in the world. Um, it, it, the injury in a way he didn't hamper his playing ability. Um, it shortened his career, obviously. It's actually a travesty, the, the amount of appearances he actually has. Um, but the goals-to-game ratio was just disgusting. <laughs> the 98 World Cup, bar the final, obviously, he was just a phenom. Um, I've never seen anything like it. Um, after the final, we obviously all thought he was done. Um, and then he come back in the 2002 competition, it was just like, stop me, you know, just <laughs> and had that stupid haircut. Um, and, and I know people who copied it. Um, <laughs> because it was Ronaldo. Um, just, I think phenom's the best thing we can say. Um, because if he doesn't suffer the injuries that he has, his appearance in goals tally is, is, is Messi and, even Messi and Ronaldo today. Aren't touching it. I don't. I don't believe. And that's scary when you think that of those, those records that they have. He, I mean, I can't really say any more than I already have. I, I just, I love watching them back now. Um, there's not many players you, you know you'd have to sit and happily watch the same goals montage over and over again. But even now, I, I sit and watch him trying to when he does those step overs to go around the keeper. And I think how, how, how does he do that so quickly? Like. Uh, it's just incredible. Well, yeah, but how do you stop it? <laughs> yeah. 
certain there's just there's certain skill moves that you you resonate. And as you say, he might not have created the step over, and I'm positive he didn't. <laughs> it's the Ronaldo step over. It's the you know the Ronaldinho the wee flick that he does. It's the, the Zidane round, round the ball, round the world. Right. Just there's players that are just synonymous with certain traits, um, and I think I, I genuinely, as you say, that those teams in the the late nineties, early two thousands were just were just the most fun to watch, um, and and I just loved growing up at that time where because we, we were starting to get all the the, the foreign leagues on TV as well. You know, and, and European games and friendlies and that. And so getting to see those players more and more on TV um, and going along with championship managers. I mean, it's, it's, it's very easy to understand why our generation fell in love with that game, um, which is taken on to obviously football manager nowadays. Uh, why we love games like that? Because we were all infatuated with getting those best players. And I put that down to the teams like Real Madrid and and maybe even Inter Milan and AC Milan, where they collated, you know, the best players from the league to make a super team and try and dominate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, captain, last striker. <laughs> yeah. So this is probably the most obvious pick of them all. But my last pick is uh, is Alan Shearer. Um, I mean, where, where do you start here? I mean, this is a guy who. When I first started watching football, I got you know the '95 '96 season as my first full season, which obviously ended in disaster at club level, and then it ended in disaster at national level. But Ashira was the golden boot winner at Euro '96. Uh, so then for, for Newcastle to go and buy him for 15 million was then a world record fee. If I'm not mistaken, I think there's only been two Premier League clubs to break the world record transfer fee, and we're, we're one of them. Um, for him to want to come play for us in the first place was incredible. Um, to then go on and obviously break all the records he broke for us, 200 and whatever goals he got for us to become our highest our highest scorer. I'm not sure that'll ever be beaten, um, the way players turn over these days. Um, and his, his goals record, not just for us, but for Blackburn as well, and, and even Southampton in his very early days, he was so lethal for those, you know, maybe the first nine or ten seasons, injuries withstanding. Um, just an unbelievable finisher. I mean, yeah. What 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 is that say? Really, I guess you know what a striker. Ultimately, um, you know, I, I remember watching a lot of those games uh, in my first few full seasons. You know, watching and just seeing how how many goals he's got. And I think I I ended up watching once one of those um, Premier League hundred goal club things that Sky Sports oh, yes. back in the day, yep. and it was an Alan Shearer one and. The range of goals that he could score was just any from anywhere, any type of goal, and he could do it. And that that says a lot about him as a striker, anyway, that he could just score from anywhere and do anything. Well, that's it exactly. He scored. You nailed it there. He scored every type of goal, um, and he's another one who had to adapt his game as well due to injuries. Uh, and Bobby Robson obviously saved his career in many ways because he was. Struggling massively under Hullard, um, but Bobby came in and fixed him, basically, for want of a better term, and uh, got another four or five seasons out of him. Uh, we went back to the Champions League, we had great days with, with Shearer Lee in the line, um, and it's just a shame that we never managed to win anything from him. 
he's still got a league premier. I'm sure he's not complaining. He's got a, he's got a league title. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that season with Sutton that they won the league that year was just was frightening. Um, their partnership was unreal. Um, so for you, is he the is he the great striker in Premier League history? Um, for me, he is, but I'm biased. But um, <laughs> when I when you watch Premier League now, I mean, obviously Aguero's lethal. But he, if you look at the players around him, how many of his goals does he get from just you know David Silva and De Bruyne put it on a plate for him and he scores from half a yard out? Yeah. Um, which you know, a goal's a goal. Don't get us wrong. I'm not saying that Aguero's not a good player. Of course he is. But um, Shearer played in a team that wasn't the best for the vast majority of his career. Um, so many of his goals were. Some of them were totally man-made by him. You know, he didn't. Obviously, got got a lot of tapping, a lot of penalties, but um, he, he scored some ridiculous goals. And the amount of times he had to drag that team single-handedly um, through some games is uh, is uncanny, really. It's kind of frustrating when you try to compare the eras, but isn't it? Though? As you say, Dave, like the the players and teams today. I mean that. People, even at, at Liverpool, people always talk Gert Torres or Suarez, but for me, there'll never be anybody like Fowler. And again, he was he was younger and he was playing against, for me, better defenders back then as well and generating goals from, from nowhere. Um, and the talent he had, I would have had like a, a young Robbie Fowler playing today over over even a Suarez and Torres. Um, doesn't take away from the players. But it's just, I don't know, it's just it was just a different time. Yeah, and Fowler was unreal. I mean, we would. I was talking to you the other day about how few England caps Fowler got um, compared to how good he was. Um, I mean, Fowler could really have been, you know, your shearer in many ways, um, and probably would have been had he had a different lifestyle. Um, yeah. Plus, obviously, Liverpool, Liverpool got better and better. Michael Owen came through, and you know, whatever else happened. Um, but he was, and Fowler was so so good um, from a young age as well. Just on the, I guess. Batshear is is just the, one of the I guess the the captaincy thing with Newcastle and one of the things I'll always think about is uh, Bowie and Dyer having a fight and then Shearer effectively just walking over and properly taking charge of it. Yeah. Um, which says a lot about how, how he was a captain for that that side. Um, if, if something like like that was to happen now, you know, would you see the captain getting involved? And obviously, there's a lot of argy bargy there, and, and you know, captains come running over. But you know, would you see a captain nowadays doing the same type of thing and really like settling it and you know sort of? Well, I think it depends who it is. I mean, if you take your Chelsea as an example, you you had Sarri and Aretha Balaga um, (laughs) (laughs) shouting at each other from 80 paces, and Aspilicueta was nowhere to be seen. He just stood there. (laughs) Exactly. So, um, but we have a lot of different captains now. There's a lot more captains in the style of. David Beckham these days and there are of Stuart Pearce um, where it's all leading by example and nothing's ever good enough and you can always do better uh, as opposed to the sort of rough and ready play well or kill you kind of scenario we had a lot of time in the 90s um, which again is just how football's gone really um, yeah. ultra defensive there the minute you mentioned a Beckham type captain it's <laughs> <laughs> going to jump in I was like no let's just leave that <laughs> um, I mean there's a compliment really where you could where, but uh yeah, we, we, there's not really that many captains now who would uh, who would tear into you like a Keane or, or a Shearer would. Mm, yeah, yeah. Just but, the game's gone soft. Even, <laughs> even like like, I mean, Gerard wouldn't have been the player for us if that had happened to get involved. You know, what I mean, it would have been Carragher 
who wasn't the captain. I think every player's got a player. I just don't think, as you say, Dave, captains are all there for, for different reasons nowadays. Um, I feel most clubs would have, I say most clubs again after obviously what the, the Chelsea example is, but um, I've got a player, you know, in their squad or in their, usually the defender, to be fair, because there's usually some psychopath that's playing there um, who would get involved. Or you, you'd like to think so anyway. Do you know the strangest thing for that? I think that's only Alan Shearer's first inclusion in this series of podcasts. Um, I was having a quick flip through all the teams. I've got them all written down. And I can't see them anywhere else. Um, which is which is baffling to me. Um, I mean, it, it was always going to be obvious for yourself they've been the Newcastle fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you'd have thought even English fans... Um, or even just Premier League fans. I mean, when you're talking, unless you're going to go down, especially when you're talking about favourites, you know, I mean, it's easy when you go down, some of the players we've had mentioned, like your Batistutas and players like that. Um, but I just feel if you were English at all in any way, that there would have been at least a few other heroes. But yeah, not, not included, which is a mass surprise. People just don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, just look, I'm just looking at your team a second. I, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, it's a good, very, very solid team. I'm worried about, you know, the lack of cover that defence is going to get. Uh, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little bit concerned. A little bit concerned well, that they yeah. really struggle in that sense. You've got a lot of players yeah. on top. That, that's a very, you know, I'm playing Championship Manager and I, I need to win a game. Uh, Throw as many players at the pitch as possible. But... Yeah, my original plan, my original plan was to have an actual right back, and then probably have, you know, Heidenstrom. Is it a hint of made or something like that? But you know, who, who wants a right back really? Yeah, exactly. Especially who grows want to be a right back? You know, who grows <laughs> to be Gary Neville? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> have you got the team written down, Ryan? I do. You want to run through it, and then we'll get any of the honourable mentions. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher the other uh, centre back that you mentioned because I've tried to write that down a couple of times and I've really struggled. Uh, so you got Chevalier uh, in goal, Jonathan Woodgate, Dion Dublin, and what, what was his name, Dave? Uh, Bjorn Heidenstrom. Heidenstrom. I actually wrote that down at that, that time. Uh, in defence, uh, right wing back, and he definitely could do a job. David Beckham, left wing back, Roberto Carlos, and then. I've put centre mids, but you know, again, Paul Merson, Sibieski, Peter Beardsley, and then up top, of course, Ronaldo, OG Ronaldo, that is, and Alan Shearer. Nice. Who's the captain? So, do you have honourable mentions, Dave? Does there anybody just missed out, or you wanted to get in but they just didn't fit the formation? Um, I mean, there would have been a lot of you know Newcastle players down the years who who, who could have got in there. Um, most of the Turner's era were pretty close. And obviously, Janola was another one who kind of yeah. was different at his time. Um, something we hadn't really seen that much of in the Premier League. Um, but I couldn't find find space for him. Plus, we only had him for a couple of years. People forget he was only there for for two seasons. Um, yeah. Wow. You can blame Kenny for that. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, Shea Given was pretty close to getting the nodding goal because he again played so many games for us and 
yeah. basically pull us out the shit on millions of occasions. So um, he was he was fairly close, but um, you know it was. I think Dion Dublin was my eleventh pick because um, I didn't have many defenders to pick from. <laughs> Michael Owen not in your run of all mentions. Um, no, just missed no, out on that one then. Uh, just, just yeah, yeah. It's funny, Michael Owen's never been picked, and really on ability and the way he played, you know, at the time that you would have been growing up, he would have been a lot of people's favourite players, or you know, on the tip of the tongue every time they were talking about it. Um, but he's just such he's a such, fuck. He's just such a moron now that he you can't pick him. What out there that like him? Liverpool <laughs> <laughs> like fans absolutely hate him. United fans only like him because of one goal against City. Newcastle fans hate him. Stoke hate him. <laughs> <laughs> Forget he even played for them. <laughs> like, he's he is the most hated man in the world. <laughs> it's just frightening like, how low Liverpool fans speak of him. When he was, he was one of the best players in the world when he played for us. <laughs> no, yeah, he won the Ballon d'Or. I mean, <laughs> he's just a moron now, so you can't you can't ignore that moronicity, I guess. But no, that's that's a good team. I like it. Um, I think the Heidenstrom picks my my, my favourite again, just with the, the story that goes along with it. Um, and again, what the podcast's all about, those those niche players um, that have a story to go with it or it takes you back to a time in your life. Um, and again, why why we started this podcast in the first place. So thank you very much for jumping on, Dave. No, thanks for having us. I've enjoyed that. Do you want to, as Chris would say, pimp your socials out for where people can reach you? Yeah, I only really do Twitter, which is uh, at cm9798, and the website is cm9798.co.uk. And uh, all the cm9798 stuff, I, the, the blogs are incredible. Anybody who had any um, affection for those back in the day, highly encouraged to go and, to go and check them out, um, as well as the, the podcast with, with Ross, which we'll come on in a bit. Ryan, what about yourself? Uh, mine is at the Ryan Goodman. And mine is at Ali Thompson eighty four, I believe. Um, but as I say, check out Man in the Post on all all your social media platforms. Uh, Chris does a average job of keeping them all up to date. Um, and just just check all the podcasts out. As I say, the, the, there's a lack of football at the moment, so people have got plenty of time. So if you've got a spare couple of hours, check out the this, the Championship Manager pods with Ross and Dave. The Friday show, I still still regularly out on Fridays just now, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, yeah. I think they're doing uh, different topics every week on games uh, from over the past few years. Obviously, without any current football on, we're looking back to the past. And obviously, if you're listening to us, make sure you've listened to last week's where we Chris, and hopefully we'll have a new guest and another one out soon. So thanks, guys, for joining me. Thank you very much. And thanks for listening. And always remember to keep your man in the post. <laughs>